Hey, cuz, welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a close look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs. And today, James Taylor has seen some things, man. How good it is. Hi there, I'm Claude Cole, and I don't seem to say that anymore, so there you go. Before we move into the trivia, I'd like you to take a listen to this. It's a really interesting podcast, which takes a different approach to pop music. In the Key of Q is a new podcast series featuring music and conversation with queer musicians from around the world. Musicians like Soulful, Ty McKinney. Musicians like suburban pop king, Matt Fischel. And musicians like rapper, The That's In the Key of Q, available on all the usual podcast providers. You can check that out using whatever podcast software you're using right now. Now, let's do some trivia, shall we? I think this is another one of those either ye know this one right away or ye don't kind of questions. The Foo Fighters started out as a solo project for a Dave Grohl after Kurt Cobain committed suicide, and they've been going strong ever since then. But let's face it, that's kind of an unusual name for a band, but it's not just a nonsense phrase. So here's the question. What is a Foo Fighter? I will have that answer for ye at the end of the show. You know, when doing the research for some of these shows, one of the things I bump up against is a lot of weird rumors regarding the meaning behind the songs. And one of the biggest relates to James Taylor's first big single, Fire and Rain. Specifically, the story that the song chronicles his reaction to the death of his girlfriend in a plane crash. So, let's get that out of the way immediately. No! Well, not really. Okay, that was a little harsh. Let me roll myself back a little bit. The song was written in three stages, each of them related to a specific event in his life. So let's take them a verse at a time. Taylor was working the local coffee houses and clubs and so forth in New York City in the late 1960s, and he had a friend by the name of Suzanne Schnur, who everyone it seems called Susie. Now, Taylor said that they used to hang out together and they used to get high together, but he also said he thinks she came from Long Island, which is not what you say about girlfriend material. But they were good friends, and that's a fact. In 1968, Taylor landed a contract with Apple Records to record his debut album, which means he was off to London to do some recording. Now, Taylor had three roommates that he had left behind in New York, all of whom were also close to Susie. And it was while he was in London that Suzanne committed suicide. Now, I did see a reference to an interview Taylor did with a British magazine called Petticoat, in which Susie committed suicide because she had been put into an isolation cell and couldn't handle it. But unfortunately, I couldn't dig up the primary source and all the internet-based sources, well, they basically point to one another. So I couldn't really determine if that part of it is true. At any rate, the roommates all knew about it, but they didn't tell Taylor because they didn't want to shake him up while he was working on this record. As a result, he didn't learn the news until he got back to New York and she had been dead for about six months. Now, while that debut album produced a couple of songs that we would consider classic James Taylor material today, such as Carolina In My Mind, the, the album itself sold rather poorly for a couple of reasons. The first was that it was released on Apple Records, which was going through a bit of a management implosion at the time. The other problem was that Taylor himself came home with a little bit of a monkey on his back, as the expression goes, and that leads us into the second verse. 
We get an inward turn on Taylor's part as he struggles with addiction and he looks to his higher power. Taylor told NPR in an interview that it wasn't until he got back from London that he realized he had picked up a bad habit and the withdrawal was making him quite uncomfortable, as such things typically do. The third verse is a reference to the fact that Taylor spent some time in and out of mental hospitals to treat his depression and his addiction. Now again, there's a little bit of discrepancy regarding what hospital is being referred to in the sense that every source seems to point to a single hospital stay in a specific hospital. But the fact is, there were several, all of which contributed to this verse. And the last line of the verse refers to a band he belonged to called The Flying Machine. Now this isn't the same band that did the song Smile A Little Smile for me, but another band with the same name. This band was put together by James Taylor and Danny Korchmar in 1966. They recorded some songs and actually released a single, but broke up before an album could be assembled. By some accounts, the breakup was pretty bad and it created more problems for Taylor personally. And around 1971, to capitalize on Taylor's success with Fire and Rain, the materials were finally collected into an album and credited to James Taylor and the original Flying Machine. Ahem. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I should note that either Taylor and Korchmore managed to patch things up or whatever went south didn't involve any acrimony between the two of them because Korchmore was called in to work on Taylor's second album, which wound up being called Sweet Baby James. Peter Asher was hired as the producer, and he was looking for a relatively simple sound, which would bring the songs themselves to the forefront and let anything fancy just kind of get out of the way. Also playing on the track was Carol King on the piano and Russ Kunkel on drums. Now, the group rehearsed in Asher's living room before going to the studio, and Kunkel was known as a rock drummer, but because Asher had neighbors that he didn't want to disturb, he asked Kunkel to practice using brushes rather than sticks. This turned out to be the secret sauce for the track and gave them the approach they needed. The final element is something that most people don't really hear unless they're listening closely, and even then they think it's like a cello or a viola maybe. But in fact, it's session player Bobby West playing an upright bass with a bow. Peter Asher interviewed once that they didn't have a bass on the track at all, and Taylor had the idea to use bowed upright bass to create that droning bottom note. Asher didn't know anyone in L.A. at the time, musician-wise, so the whole album has different bass players, but it's West on this track. Asher then doubled the sound to give it an extra flangey kind of sound, and that, he says, are the only strings on the entire track. The single was released in August of 1970 and managed to make it to number three on the Billboard Hot 100, and it was top ten in Australia and in Canada as well. It also picked up some additional popularity in 1973 when it appeared on a special collection of hits called Superstars of the 70s, which was issued by Warner Special Products. This was a box set of four LPs, which had a wide variety of artists and songs, numbering 49 tracks in all. And I, I have to assume that it's only because the rights issues are so complicated that it was never reissued as a two CD set because this thing was amazing. If you spot a decent copy in a used record store, leap on it. As far as covers, the song has been covered over 80 times by my count, including by uh, Johnny Rivers, Willie Nelson, and R.B. Graves, but probably the most successful cover from a charting standpoint is this one by Marsha Hines, 
which was a top 20 hit in Australia in himself has also covered the song in a more humorous context. Uh, in a 1994 episode of The Simpsons, Taylor performs the song for some astronauts up in the space shuttle. But of course, he changes the last verse to read, Sweet dreams and flying machines flying safely through the air. After first singing it correctly and then realizing, eh, that might not be a morale booster. Taylor also redid the song for a laugh in 2015 on Stephen Colbert's Late Night Show. The basis of the rewrite is that when he was younger, he hadn't seen much, which is why he just sings Fire and Rain over and over and over again. Well, uh, uh, wow. so are you telling me that you've updated Fire and Rain to include everything you've seen since 1970? I can't imagine what that sounds like. You don't have to imagine it, Stephen, because we rehearsed it before the show. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen the rise and fall of the Beanie Babies train I've seen man buns, my space and the Baja men But I never thought I'd see a new Star Wars again Once I looked down and saw some sneakers That had wheels built in the heel I've seen grandmas reading Fifty Shades of Grey I've seen rainbow suspenders And a Taco Bell fourth meal And gluten-free brown sugar special K I've seen snakes upon a plane I've seen shampoo with conditioner built right in I've seen Al Roker's body go from fat to thin And I kind of hope to see Lex Shark again I saw a strange pizza pie and it caught my eye It was folded into a pouch Lord knows what you call those I should have asked the pizza guy Well there's Bud Light Lime and there's Cybercrime And Flavor Crystal Gum 
Quidditch teams and skinny jeans cutting blood off from my thighs. Oh, I've seen toast that's multi green. I've seen almost every episode of Friends. I've seen adult diapers, I think they're called a pen. But I never saw that show with the Olsen twins. It's called Full House. How many, how many more verses are there here, James? 75, Stephen, 75. Well, we gotta go to commercial here, James. I'll be right back. Oh, I've seen Seinfeld and Lee. James Taylor, everybody. Now it's time to answer our trivia question. Back on page two, I told you a little bit about Dave Grohl's Pulse Nirvana band, the Foo Fighters, and asked you, what's a Foo Fighter anyway? As it turns out, the phrase isn't just something that Grohl made up. The term goes back to World War II, specifically the 415th Night Fighter Squadron, which operated in the Mediterranean and Northwestern Europe between 1943 and 1947. They used the phrase to refer to any kind of unidentified flying object. At the time, such objects were automatically assumed to be some kind of secret weapon operated by the enemy. The word foo comes from a 1930s comic strip called Smokey Stover, which was syndicated by the Chicago Tribune newspaper. Smokey's catchphrase was, where there's foo, there's fire. And it's generally agreed that a radar operator from the 415th named Donald Myers, who came from Chicago, was the guy who coined the term during a mission debriefing. Since nobody had a better name for identifying such unidentified stuff, the name Foo Fighters stuck. There's a sample Smokey Stover strip at the website. It's got a lot of odd puns in the background, which makes it extra fun to read. And I may have to toddle over to Amazon to check out some of the collections. And that, my friend, is a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. When you do that, you get a weekly newsletter with music news of the present and the past. And that comes every week, whether there's a show or not. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we do something extra special and have ourselves a chat with a musician who has toured with some big names. Anthony Robustelli is my guest for episode 142. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. How good.